0: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.
1: If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The Big Picture Questions and the Most Interesting Research in Science.
2: Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science. And as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.
3: What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
2: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities.
0: Well, when this episode drops, we're going to be on an airplane flying to Thailand. Well, actually to Seattle and then to, to Thailand, but yes, ultimately Thailand and... Another big uh, trip for us. This is a bucket list trip that we've been planning for 15 years.
3: Yeah, and it's finally happening. I'm super excited about it. And we were just in Spain not long ago, which, again, mind-blowing trip of a lifetime. And it just so happened to work out that we are doing these two trips really close together. Yeah. Probably not going anywhere for a while after this. No, But one of the fun things that we were able to do when we were in Spain or on our way back from Spain, was Zoom with the patrons.
0: And we actually did the Zoom because we we took a transatlantic cruise home, and uh, we we Zoomed with the patrons, the, uh, the order of freaks, from inside the Bermuda Triangle. It was wonderful.
3: Also, if you have an opportunity to take advantage of a repositioning cruise, it's so much more inexpensive. Oh, my God. And it can be a real adventure.
0: Hey, I was thinking since we did that Zoom with the patrons from inside the Bermuda Triangle during our last trip, and because Thailand is 12 hours ahead, Mm -hmm. maybe we could do a Zoom call with the patrons from the future. (laughs) We've actually learned a lot about things we shouldn't do when we're in Thailand. like Show
3: the bottom of our feet?
0: That's considered extremely rude. Mm -hmm. You know that's a big kink over there. Absolutely. Also, you cannot leave the country with a statue or an image of the Buddha. Yeah. Interesting. So if you're thinking of smuggling like contraband out of Thailand, don't do it inside a Buddha statue. That would be my advice to you, um, the would-be smuggler. (laughs)
3: It's good advice. Also, great opportunity to cross-promote The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toth.
0: That's true. We talk about all kinds of stuff including um well people, butt stuff. Well, <laughs> there is some butt stuff, uh, but not the way you think. Things like, you know, stuff that people end up with in their butts at the emergency room, mostly just really embarrassing stupid things people do. It'll make yourself feel better. That's one of our slogans, helping to support your self-esteem through other people's stupid decisions. <laughs> I love a good zombie movie, you know that. Of course. I read the George Romero uh, zombie book, which, gosh, that was like 600 pages, but riveting stuff. Quite the slog. It, It was. It was. It took me about a year. The idea of fending off dead, deteriorating bodies who have reanimated during a zombie apocalypse is just terrifying to me. No interest. Fortunately, it's just fiction. Or, or is, is it? it I
3: knew you were going to say that
0: I came across the story of an event that took place during World War 1 It's a story of a battle where Russian soldiers rose from the grave to fight the advancing German army And the story of this battle is 100% true What It's called the attack of the dead men Let me explain
3: Let me explain <laughs> Always makes me think of the princess bride Let me explain <laughs>
0: In 1914, Russian and Polish soldiers were defending the Osowiec fortress located in northeast Poland along the Polish border. The fortress was strongly defended, and in fact it was considered to be, quote, a bone in the throat of the Germans, because it forced them to keep many of their troops tied up, about 7,000 of them in this region, and they wanted to take the fort and free those troops up to fight on different fronts. Okay. But the defending army, mostly Russian, were extremely resilient. They just would not give up. They were tenacious. The first German attack on the fort happened in September of 1914. The Germans called it all in. They they had planes, uh, explosives, but the Russians continued to be able to hold them off. The Germans continued their relentless attack on the fort month after month after month. For an entire year but they were unable to dislodge the russian soldiers from the fort they were unsuccessful in attaining this asset so the germans at this point were becoming frustrated and decided to take their attack to a whole different level so on october 6th 1915 they released chlorine gas over the fortress An eyewitness to that event later said that uh, as the gas slowly descended on the fortress and the surrounding area, it was so thick it blocked out the sun. The grass turned black. It killed all of the vegetation as well as any living person that stood outside on the bridgehead of the fortress. It then settled into the fortress with devastating results. Now, inside the fortress, the Russian soldiers were not prepared at all to withstand a gas attack. This was a relatively new weapon at the time. There was no contingency plan in place. There were no gas masks. Even the way the fortress was constructed didn't offer them any protection. In fact, it seemed to enhance the effect of the poisonous gas because the fort lacked artificial ventilation and there were absolutely zero oxygen generators. Uh, The gas wiped out three companies from the 226th Infantry Division. It was truly horrific. To give you an idea of the effects of what damaged chlorine gas when combined with bromine can create, I'll tell you this, and it's not pretty, so trigger warning. Okay. Chlorine gas, when it combines with moisture, it bonds to moisture and it becomes hydrochloric acid. If it's breathed in, it binds to the moisture in your lungs. The acid eats through the soft flesh and mucous membranes. It causes blindness and even can turn the eyeballs completely white. Victims bleed from their nasal cavities. The more one breathes, the more the tissue in the lungs dissolve, burning you literally from the inside out. Right. Ultimately, the person dies from the inability to breathe. And it happens relatively quickly, in, in a short period of time, just a few minutes. Well, at least there's that. That's true. But it is a horrific way to die. Another devastating result of this type of gas poisoning, since it does bind to moisture, if a person is sweating, it binds to the sweaty flesh and causes it to slowly be eaten away, exposing the bone. It's truly just a terrifying thing. After the gas attack, the Russian and the Polish soldiers' uniforms were drenched in blood. They tried to survive by soaking rags in urine and holding them over their face. Most of them were coughing up parts of their lungs, which splattered on their and other soldiers' uniforms.
3: Is there a cure for this? Is there a way to stop no. it? From, no. No. Okay. No, why would there be? That's silly.
0: Flesh from their face slowly melted away as they died. Mm. The Germans waited for what they thought was a significant period of time. As the gas cloud dissipated, the fortress was devastated and there was no sign of life, just dead soldiers as far as the eye could see. (sighs) The gas attack had done its job frighteningly, efficiently, and quickly.
3: How do you know how long to wait before you go in?
0: I think they were just waiting to, visibly they could see the cloud had moved away. Okay, The attack began at 4 in the morning, and within minutes, Russian and Polish soldiers started dying off. Within hours, the companies were completely wiped out. The German soldiers began to advance. Even though the cloud had uh, visibly dissipated, they donned gas masks just to be safe.
3: I think I would too, (sighs) yeah.
0: Once they drew close to the fortress, they started seeing a hellscape. The black grass, the leafless trees, and the dead and dissolving bodies lay strewn about the entire area. A chilling and terrifying sight. 7,000 German soldiers marched forward to take control of the fort, stepping over bodies as they advanced.
3: I have a question, more about the the poison stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If it's on your skin Mm -hmm. and someone touches your skin, can it be transferred that way or would the gas dissipate?
0: My thought is if it has bonded with moisture, it's turned into hydrochloric acid. So touching it, you would definitely suffer the effects of it. So 7,000 German soldiers marching forward. The closer they got, the more the German soldiers saw the results of their gas attack up close and personal. They were horrified. Of course they were at what they saw and you got to remember these mostly are enlisted guys they didn't make the decisions they're just following up on it not even really knowing what the gas would have done many of the german soldiers fell to their knees vomiting into their gas masks they were so distraught other soldiers sobbed uncontrollably as they saw these dead and dissolving bodies lying on the ground in front of them but they continued to press on suddenly as these 7,000 troops drew near. Between 60 and 100 of these deteriorating dead soldiers rose from the ground with their weapons and started firing on the Germans as they lumbered toward them. 100 against 7,000 doesn't seem like much of a fight, unless the 100 fighting appear to be dead Russian soldiers in blood-stained uniforms with white eyes coughing up blood and chunks of lung tissue.
3: I can see how that would be pretty intimidating.
0: With pieces of their face melting off to the bone. All 7,000 German troops were stunned by what they saw. Their military training apparently did not prepare them on the proper response in the event of a zombie apocalypse. They just... They turned and fled. I would. <laughs> Run away! Now, of course, they were not fighting an army of the dead, even though it sure as hell looked like one. Right. Some of the Russian soldiers had somehow managed to survive the gas attack. They got on the radio with headquarters, and headquarters instructed them to hold the line at all costs. Rather than just sitting tight and trying to defend the fort while they slowly died, they decided to go on the attack. Sure. Now keep in mind, many of these guys were moments away from death, and they knew it. They quickly put a plan together on how to approach the German line. There was no doubt in their minds at this point that they were gonna die, certainly one way or the other. The attack would probably fail, they were greatly outnumbered, but they were all in.
3: I mean, what else are you gonna do? What else are you gonna do? It's already happening.
0: The entire 226th Infantry Regiment would go down in history. But there is one soldier who stands out. His name was Lieutenant Vladimir Kotlinsky. And even though he was not a high-ranking Russian officer, he's the one that rallied the few surviving soldiers.
3: Amazing.
0: He's the one who explained to them this brave but terrifying plan. The plan did seem hopeless, but... All of the surviving soldiers were determined to go down fighting. So, they lay down on the ground as if they were dead, God. blending in with the bodies of their dead comrades. Oh my God. The German line slowly approached. Suddenly, what appeared to the Germans as dead, dissolving bodies stood up and began firing on them. The Germans were terrified. They fell back and began a panicked retreat, stumbling over one another as they fled. As they fled to the rear, word spread to the German line in the back from the soldiers that were racing by them that, oh my God, zombies. Right. These soldiers in the rear also turned and fled without even seeing the army of the dead. Well,
3: I assume that, I mean, like you said, uh, most of these people didn't know what the effects of the poison were going to be. Right. So they didn't know if one of the effects was... Zombies.
0: Reanimation. Right. All 7,000 German troops were driven back by 60 to 100 dying Russian troops.
3: Wow.
0: Every single soldier exposed to the gas perished. It was estimated that around 200 Russian soldiers ultimately died from the initial gas attack and another 200 after.
3: Jeez Louise.
0: As the lethal levels of As the lethal... That's not easy to say. (laughs) As the lethal levels of the gas subsided, Russian reinforcements were sent into the fort. To keep the fort from falling into German hands, they destroyed it. Because the Germans totally did not expect to be attacked by a zombie army, and they had little time to respond... Of course. They suffered heavy casualties and failed to seize this asset.
3: I'm sad that none of them survived i feel like what an incredible story that would have been for a survivor like and then so we laid down and we pretended like we were dead and then when they came in (laughs) we got up right and like it would have been such a harrowing story
0: that would have been the ultimate way to end it like especially this guy that rallied the troops he goes on and lives a long and fruitful life right unfortunately that's not what happened the attack of the dead men from World War One. Wow. My source information, rancor, Russia beyond, and history.
3: That was a real roller coaster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca.
3: And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them.
0: Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer
2: and now that thing in the middle most of us are familiar with maya
0: angelou as an american memoirist a popular poet and civil rights activist she published seven autobiographies three books of essays several books of poetry and is credited with a list of plays, movies, and television shows spanning over 50 years. She received dozens of awards and more than 50 honorary degrees. She's best known for her series of seven biographies that all focus on her childhood and early adult experiences, with the first being, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. But here's something you might not know about Maya Angelou. Along with her other accomplishments and accolades, Maya Angelou was the first black female streetcar conductor in San Francisco.
3: Megan Sasquatch sent us a message on Facebook.
0: Sasquatch?
3: Yeah. Uh, Hi, guys. I absolutely love your show. We met in New York City in 2021, and I loved every minute of it. My New Year's resolution is to be overall kinder and more positive. And I look up to you, too, because of how kind and accepting you are of everyone.
0: We fooled everyone. I know.
3: They're so dumb. <laughs> I often find myself saying, what would Kat and JG do? I'd like to thank you guys for making such a huge impact in my life. Love you. Oh, my gosh. Megan.
0: That is like the
3: that sweetest. That is the sweetest thing. And I, I don't even know how to accept that kind of thing. Because you're the sweet one. You are.
0: <sighs> Bitch. <laughs> A couple of episodes ago, we were talking about how uh, certain smells can wake you up from a dead sleep. and
3: I still don't believe that happens.
0: Well, not you personally, I guess, but uh, people in general. And um,
3: I have a pretty good sense of smell, too. You do. You have a super sniffer like Gus. My brain just goes, nope, sleepy time. <laughs> Bye-bye.
0: We had a, an email that we read from a woman who said that her husband got mad at her because she was cooking cabbage in the middle of the night and it woke him up. And, right. It ended yeah. up
3: being an episode title.
0: Yep. Amy, one of the inner circle of freak members, sent us this message on Patreon. This was fascinating as usual, but I'm still laughing about the cabbage. As someone with a sensitive sniffer and a persecution complex, I totally get the husband's reaction. <laughs>
3: Persecution complex. I don't think I've ever heard that specific term before, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah,
0: I've certainly never heard it in the same sentence with the word cabbage. Thanks, Amy. Amy's been one of our patrons for a long, long time now. One of the founding members, I think. Thanks, Amy.
1: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann
0: Rohl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Oh, well. This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: If this podcast were a puppy or kitten, it would be all cute and cuddly then stare at you from two inches away while you slept. This is The Box of Oddities. All right. What you got for me? Oh,
3: my goodness. Mm. Wasn't that lovely? Thank you. I got a message from Skylar. Skylar. They said, I think that you might find this interesting. And you know what, Skylar?
0: I did. Uh Uh-huh. Also great name.
3: Yeah. And I've been doing a lot of research about passports and visas and travel. So this tied in perfectly and actually gave me a few resources for our upcoming trip. So Skylar said, how about the history of passports?
0: I'm in. Okay.
3: A passport is the only acceptable form of identification for international travel. If you aren't carrying your passport, it's virtually impossible to enter another country. If something goes wrong while you're away from home, such as losing your luggage or getting sick, at least you'll have something that proves you're from where you say you're from. And it's also about being provable as a resident of that place. So it might offer assistance in the event that something goes wrong. Okay. If you are let's say, detained because you're trying to remove an image of Buddha from Thailand, (laughs) the states might go, okay, you're actually from here and we'll help you get back. I mean, not necessarily, but maybe.
0: It's comforting to think that there's the possibility they might.
3: (laughs) The origins of the passport can be traced back to the biblical era.
0: What? Did Moses have a passport?
3: Yeah, but it got burned in the bush.
0: (laughs) This is important to keep your passport in a fire retardant safe.
3: Yeah. The safe conduit or safe conduct passage was designed to grant an enemy passage in and out of a kingdom for the purpose of his negotiations. So if a king's spokesperson was to go into another country for negotiations, they were to keep him safe because the king said, Hey, I'm sending him over to you. Don't murder him, okay? According to historian Martin Lloyd in The Passport, the history of man's most traveled document, one of the earliest known references to paperwork that served in a role similar to that of a passport is found in the Hebrew Bible.
0: Wow, Moses did have a passport.
3: And it states that Nehemiah, an official serving king of Persia, asked permission to travel to Judea. The king granted leave and gave him a letter to the governors beyond the river, requesting safe passage for him as he traveled through their lands. It was basically like a gentleman's agreement. The two rulers recognized each other's authority, and stepping over a border wouldn't cause a war. Passports were an important part of the Chinese bureaucracy as early as the Western Han, if not in the Qin dynasty. They required such details as age, height, and bodily features. These passports Hmm. determined a person's ability to move throughout imperial countries and through points of control.
0: Interesting. Sounds pretty thorough.
3: Considering? Yeah. Yeah. In Britain, from 1540, the granting of... Of traveling papers became the business of the Privy Council. By this point, the term passport was being used. One of the earliest still in existence was issued June 18, 1641.
0: Under the name Passport.
3: Yep, and it was signed by Charles I. Son of a gun. Since 1794, they've always been granted by the Secretary of State, and a record exists of all passports issued since that date. King Henry V of England is credited with having Uh, not invented the passport as we know it, but kind of revolutionizing, and making the passport as we understand it today. The earliest reference to these documents is found in a 1414 Act of Parliament. And these were warnings to other countries that they should allow the bearers to travel freely. And in return, English subjects wouldn't injure or rob a foreigner who carried their safe conduct paperwork. Such sovereign letters became popular during the reign of King Louis XIV of France. The king granted traveler documents called passport or to pass the report. Within a 100 years of Louis XIV's reign, almost every country in Europe had set up a system to issue passports and visas.
0: That's fascinating.
3: And part of the goal was to allow a visitor in their country for a certain period of time. Okay. Not just that you could come in, but that you're, you're here only for a bit.
0: Business or pleasure?
3: <laughs> the first modern British passport, the product of the British Nationality and Status Aliens Act of 1914, consisted of a single page, folded into eight, and held together with a cardboard cover. It was valid for two years, and as well as a photograph and a signature, it featured a personal description, including details like shape of face, complexion and features it also might say things like forehead broad (laughs) nose large eyes small beady big nose (laughs) not shocking most people did not like this no no no, yeah
0: yeah i would hate it (laughs) hey did you have to put fat ass down It's bad enough big nose, but big nose fat ass. Right.
3: It's one of the reasons why I have never voluntarily gone to a caricature artist. I have features <laughs> uh-huh. that are very caricaturey. And you don't
0: want them highlighted. Would make
3: me so sad. Yeah. But as photography became more and more Prevalent and easier to use, those replaced the descriptors. A worldwide passport standard emerged in the aftermath of the First World War, championed by the League of Nations. The U.S. passed the Emergency Quota Act of 1921 and later the Immigration Act of 1924. And that was largely because there were so many people immigrating to the United States. Now keep in mind in the early 20th century an American woman was not issued her own passport. She was a footnote mm. on mm. her husband's
0: passport.
2: Okay.
3: Husband was allowed to travel freely with his passport, she was not allowed to at all.
0: Well, see, th- what they were doing was mm-hmm. they were they were saving on paper. That way they didn't have to cut trees down, and uh, they were just, what they were doing was was minimizing their carbon footprint.
2: Mm-hmm,
3: that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, during the Industrial Revolution, they sure. were crazy about reducing their
0: carbon footprint. <laughs> that's what I said.
3: We've come a long way. Most passports now are very similar to Britain's passport, some with some extra safety features. The new Nicaraguan passport, for instance, boasts 89 security features, including bi-dimensional barcodes, Hmm. holograms, and watermarks. It's reputed to be one of the least forgeable documents in the world. Interesting. Yeah. But not everyone can go just anywhere with a passport. The Henley Passport Index is a thing I did not know about until this week. And it's way fun. (laughs) It gives you insight into the impact of upheaval in certain parts of the world, as well as what travel might look like for people living in other parts of the world. It gathers information based on data from International Air Transport Association and others and ranks all 199 global passports according to the number of destinations holders of those passports can visit without needing a visa in advance. Do you want to take a guess at whose passport is ranked number one?
0: Uh, USA, USA. <laughs> no. Uh, Uganda?
3: Are you just listing you yes.
0: countries now? Yeah. I scrolled down and it stopped in the U section. Japan! Why is that?
3: Japanese citizens can now visit 193 destinations from 227 without needing a visa. The U.S. is actually tied with Belgium, the Czech Republic, New Zealand, Norway, and Switzerland for the number seven rank.
0: Moving up three spaces this week in our countdown.
3: The U.S. has mostly moved down in the countdown.
0: Dropping three spots this week in our countdown.
3: Do you want to guess who's at the bottom of the list?
0: Uh, I would have no idea and to uh, avoid insulting a listener from that particular country that I might say, Mm -hmm. I will say, no, I don't know.
3: That's fair enough. Yeah, We could just cut all that out. No. At the bottom of the list. Afghanistan.
0: Okay. Afghanistan. I scrolled right by Afghanistan.
3: Now, what about those who cannot get a passport because they're stateless? They don't technically have a home country.
0: You mean like that guy who lived in the airport?
3: Kind of like that guy who lived in the airport. A stateless person is just someone who's not considered a national by any country.
0: Hmm. How does that happen?
3: Well, at the end of 2019, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees estimated there's approximately 4.2 million stateless persons worldwide. Okay. It's estimated that the number is actually higher, maybe over 10 million, due to underreporting. There are so many ways that one might become stateless. Gaps in nationality laws can lead to statelessness. People who are moved to different countries when they're infants can very easily become stateless if paperwork doesn't get filed correctly. Countries dissolving statelessness. And some citizens of some countries can lose their nationality simply by being outside of their home country for too long. Stateless people can have real difficulty accessing things like education, healthcare, employment, and as we've discussed here, freedom of movement. And without these things, obviously it's a lifetime of obstacles. And the fact that there are not options for many of these people to become nationalized when some countries literally sell their citizenship
0: Yeah, it's it's really not that uncommon. If you're an expat, there are certain countries where if you put like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars in a uh, bank account there Mm. and uh, leave it there for five years, they will give you a full residency visa.
3: Yeah, it really illustrates the flimsy nature of what our ideas of citizenship mean. Mm. Anyway, Passports are really neat. That is interesting. Yeah. And if you go to that website that I was telling you about, the Henley Passport Index, you can see like the covers of all the different passports and what they look like. And I don't know. It's just really interesting and neat. And thanks, Skylar, because I enjoyed this very much.
0: I had no idea the history of the passport went back that far. Biblical times? Yeah. Crazy.
3: I got my information from gov.uk, Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, IMI Daily, National Geographic, UNHCR, and Henley global index
0: great stuff well before we end this episode we have some kind of sad news yep that we wanted to uh share because you know we share our lives with you we we try to live our life pretty openly and and share bits and pieces with with you guys we we think of you as family and friends and uh there's more to sharing than just the good things right and as you know um we we have two dogs um Howard and Haggis. Um, Howard, we had, we had to rehome. Um,
3: we, we got him from a rescue about a year ago, and the rescue uh, and I worked together uh, over the course of a couple of weeks to get him back to a foster with them um, so that they can find him a forever home.
0: We struggled with, with the decision of this. We struggled with it for a long time. We don't really know his history, and there's always been kind of an underlying, something right under the surface. He's a sweet boy, but occasionally things will trigger him, and he just kind of snaps, and on Christmas Eve, he, he went after Haggis and bit him in the face, and then just a, a week after that, he did it again and got him right in the eye, and um, so we had to make a uh, horribly difficult Decision um,
3: And we and this is not something that we we did lightly. Haggis is the priority, though. And um, and we know that this rescue uh, poodle and pooch is going to do an amazing job finding him a place that's exactly right for him, where he can be an only pup and be doted on and have all of the attention that he requires. And,
0: and I think that he just uh, living in an apartment was stressful for him. So, so hopefully all of those things will be rectified. I have no doubt they will be because uh, Poodles and Pooch is a, a great rescue organization here in Orlando, and um, I know the paces they put us through yeah. qualifying, and I know that they'll do a good job. And not to end this on a bummer, but we just wanted you guys to know, yeah. how how can I lighten the mood before we oh okay
3: did you know that it's really hard for women to work at the post office
0: why is that
3: because it's such a male dominated industry
0: you got that from a tiktok yeah also i'm gassy so farts are always funny even in the face of adversity and pain unless the farts are causing the adversity and pain and then it's just cyclic
3: Okay, see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly
2: proudly, you beautiful freak.
3: Sorry about how that got all dark and bummery.
2: Yeah, we love you guys. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The box of on Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at box of oddities and Instagram at box of oddities podcast. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.